Chapter 13, Part 2 of Triumphant Democracy by Andrew Carnegie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Triumphant Democracy by Andrew Carnegie. Chapter 13, Part 2 Railways and Waterways the american railway system starting fifty-five years ago at nothing has reached in eighteen eighty five one hundred and twenty eight thousand miles of line the whole of europe has not so many for in eighteen eighty three it had only one hundred and fourteen thousand three hundred miles and the entire world but two hundred and seventy nine thousand eight hundred and fifty miles the record for the past ten years shows with what strides the iron road is girding the continent for during that period no less than fifty four thousand two hundred and eighty miles were built when we read that in eighteen eighty india with its two hundred and fifty millions of people added to its railways only two hundred and seventy three miles and the republic with its fifty millions added in eighteen eighty eleven thousand five hundred miles we get some idea of the speed at which she rushes on the whole of europe has not built as many miles of railway as the republic has during some recent years and in eighteen eighty the whole world did not build as many it will only be a few years probably not ten ere the railway lines of america exceed in length those of all the rest of the world the republic in one scale and the world in the other and the world kicking the beam monster you were called into existence only to redress the balance of the old world and within one short century we find you threatening to weigh it down the republic against the field and no takers in no other country is travel so comfortable and luxurious for this we are chiefly indebted to a remarkable american invention the sleeping car without which such extended lines would have remained an imperfect instrument for the consolidation of the people journeys between the oceans requiring seven days and nights to perform or even that between chicago and other western cities to new york and the east which occupy but twenty-four to forty-eight hours consecutive travel could have been undertaken only in extreme cases had the unfortunate traveller been required to sit up as in the old-fashioned cars well do i remember that when a clerk in the service of the pennsylvania railroad company a tall spare farmer-looking kind of man came to me once when i was sitting on the end seat of the rear car looking over the line he said he had been told by the conductor that i was connected with the railway company and he wished me to look at an invention he had made with that he drew from a green bag as if it were for lawyers briefs a small model of a sleeping berth for railway cars he had not spoken a minute before like a flash the whole range of the discovery burst upon me yes i said that is something which this continent must have i promised to address him upon the subject as soon as i had talked over the matter with my superior thomas a scott i could not get that blessed sleeping-car out of my head 
upon my return i laid it before mr scott declaring that it was one of the inventions of the age he remarked you are enthusiastic young man but you may ask the inventor to come and let me see it i did so and arrangements were made to build two trial cars and run them on the pennsylvania railroad i was offered an interest in the venture which of course i gladly accepted payments were to be made ten per cent per month after the cars were delivered the pennsylvania railroad company guaranteeing to the builders that the cars should be kept upon its line and under their control this was all very satisfactory until the notice came that my share of the first payment was two hundred and seventeen dollars fifty cents forty three pounds how well i remember the exact sum but two hundred and seventeen dollars and a half were as far beyond my means as if it had been millions i was earning fifty dollars ten pounds per month however and had prospects or at least i always felt that i had what was to be done i decided to call on the local banker mr lloyd state the case and boldly ask him to advance the sum upon my interest in the affair he put his hand upon my shoulder and said why of course andy you are all right go ahead here is the money it is a proud day for a man when he pays his last note but not to be named in comparison with the day in which he makes his first one and gets a banker to take it i have tried both and i know the cars paid the subsequent payments from their earnings i paid my first note from my savings so much per month and thus did i get my foot upon fortune's ladder it is easy to climb after that a triumphant success was scored and thus came sleeping cars into the world blessed be the man who invented sleep says sancho panza thousands upon thousands will echo the sentiment blessed be the man who invented sleeping cars let me record his name and testify my gratitude to him my dear quiet modest truthful farmer-looking friend t t woodruff one of the benefactors of the age this brings us to another remarkable man george m holman as great a genius in organization and administration as woodruff was in his peculiar line it did not take this typical american of chicago very long to see what part sleeping cars were bound to play upon the american continent and while a few cautious old gentlemen in philadelphia were managing the original cars in that peculiar philadelphian way which is so amusing making ten bites of even the smallest cherry this young man laid his daring plans he would contract for twenty or thirty cars while the philadelphia people hesitated to engage for one the result was that mr pullman completely eclipsed them i soon saw that we had a genius to deal with and advised the old concern to capture mr pullman there was a capture but it did not quite take that form they found themselves swallowed by this ogre and pullman monopolized everything it was well that it should be so the man had arisen who could manage and the tools belonged to him Today his company has a paid-up capital of about thirty millions of dollars 
and its ramifications extend everywhere mr pullman is a remarkable man for he not only manages this business he created it before he appeared upon the scene a sleeping-car company had no rights which a railway company was bound to respect mr pullman has made the business respectable and the travelling public are very much his debtors should mr pullman's life be spared i prophesy that the young contractor for elevating buildings in chicago will leave a monument for himself in his new industrial town of pullman which will place his name with those of salt of saltaire and baudin of guise a short roll of honour this which contains the list of those who springing from honest poverty have made fortunes through honest toil and then ah here comes the secret of the shortness of the list and then turning back to look upon the poor workers where they started have thereafter devoted their fortune and abilities so to improve the industrial system as to give to that class a better chance in life than it was possible for themselves to obtain mr pullman has made a start upon this toilsome path his future deserves to be carefully watched if ever aerial navigation becomes practicable it will like railways attain its highest development in america for here men's lives are too full of activity to permit lounging in parlor cars drawn wearily by a locomotive at only forty miles an hour when it is possible for men to soar through the air and outstrip their own symbolic eagle in its flight nature has done much for america as regards facilities for transportation her inland seas containing one-third of all the fresh water in the world and her great rivers lay ready at hand awaiting only the application of steam to vessels to render them magnificent highways a vessel sailing round the edges of these american lakes traverses a greater distance than from new york to liverpool the rivers of america are also the largest in the world after the amazon and the la plata comes the mississippi with an outflow of over two million cubic feet per hour this mighty river which the indians called in their picturesque language father of waters is equal in bulk to all the rivers of europe combined exclusive of the volga it is equal to three ganges nine rhones twenty-seven seines or eighty tibers the mighty tiber chafing with its flood says the master how would he have described the mississippi on the rampage after a spring flood when it pours down its mighty volume of water and overflows the adjacent lowlands eighty tibers in one burns picture of the pretty little air in flood has been extolled where the foaming waters came down an acre braid what think you of a tumbling sea twenty miles braid instead of your acre dear robin the length of the mississippi is two thousand two hundred and fifty miles while its navigable tributaries exceed twenty thousand miles the father of waters collects his substance from watersheds covering an area of more than two and a half million square miles the hudson is navigable by large steamers as far as albany one hundred and fifty miles inland from the atlantic 
there are quite a dozen other rivers in which the like is possible many well-known seaports are considerable distances from the coast properly speaking such are philadelphia baltimore new orleans and on the pacific coast portland the presence of inland ports with extensive docks piers and large craft is a constant source of astonishment to the european traveller the sight of ships of three thousand tons burden fifteen hundred miles from salt water is sufficient to surprise one in whom the sight of rigged ships has always been associated with the sea walking along the quays of the lake cities buffalo toledo chicago or duluth one might well imagine himself at the sea-coast these great natural waterways have been supplemented and connected with each other by artificial canals there were in the united states in eighteen eighty four thousand four hundred and sixty eight miles of canals which had cost two hundred and sixty five million dollars fifty three million pounds nearly two thousand miles of canal had however been abandoned having been rendered valueless by the superior facilities offered by railroads many of the canals still worked were reported not to be paying expenses and part of these also will no doubt soon be abandoned the freight traffic on canals in eighteen eighty amounted to twenty one million forty four thousand two hundred and ninety two tons yielding a gross income of forty five million dollars nine million pounds the early history of navigation in america presents as many curious contrasts and interesting facts as do other divisions of the history of american progress from beginnings which to us seem ludicrously small and crude the greatest results have come at the beginning of the century a successful steamboat had not been built for twenty or thirty years inventors in france scotland england and america had been working and planning to apply a principle which they saw was perfectly applicable but lacking knowledge of one or two little essentials they only passed from failure to failure yet constantly getting nearer and nearer to success john fitch and oliver evans are the names of the earliest representatives of america in this great struggle after each experimenter had contributed some new light an american engineer robert fulton by name gathered in eighteen o seven the multiplicity of lights into one great flame and made practicable by the help of all what each had tried in vain to achieve by himself fulton's claremont was the first commercially successful steamboat ever built a boat of one hundred and sixty tons burden she was launched on the hudson in eighteen o seven and ran over a year as a passenger boat between new york and albany the first steamboat of the mississippi valley was built by fulton in eighteen eleven and was called the orleans she had a stern wheel and went from pittsburgh to new orleans more than two thousand miles in fourteen days the next year henry bell of scotland built the comet of thirty tons which plied between glasgow and greenock and in eighteen thirteen sailed around the coasts of the british isles in eighteen nineteen the savannah 
380 tons burden crossed the atlantic from america visited liverpool st petersburg and copenhagen and returned nineteen years later the great western one thousand three hundred and forty tons and the syria steamed across the atlantic from england and only two years afterwards namely eighteen forty the present justly celebrated cunard line was established inaugurating an era of ocean travel which has revolutionized human life and brought the old and new worlds within six days of each other on a sunday afternoon in august last i sailed from queenstown upon the cunarder at truria and on saturday afternoon the noble ship was moving up new york bay just six days from harbor to harbor that was my last trip across the ferry contrast it with my first seven weeks upon a sailing vessel internal navigation has an equally interesting history the earliest transportation by water was effected by means of keel-boats these drifted down well enough with the current but had to be forced upstream with setting poles the keel-boat was long and narrow sharp at the bow and stern and of light draught from fifteen to twenty hands were required to propel it the crew divided equally on each side took their places upon the running-boards extending along the whole length of the craft and each man setting one end of a long pole in the bottom of the river brought the other to his shoulder and bending over it with his face nearly to the plank exerted all his force against the boat treading it from under him while those of one side were thus passing down in line to the stern those on the other facing about were passing towards the bow drawing their poles floating on the water the keelboatmen kept their rifles constantly within reach in case indians should attempt to surprise them their journeys often lasted several months these keelboatmen living a semi-barbarous life developed traits more befitting the aboriginal savage than the descendants of europeans human life with them appears to have had little more sanctity than the lives of the animals they shot on the river banks the descriptions of the now extinct keelboatsmen left by contemporary writers surpass in horrible detail anything ever written of western cowboys or miners they have now disappeared before steamboats and civilization as completely as the wildernesses amongst which their lives were mostly spent with other barbarisms of the good old times they have sunk into oblivion r i p one of the earliest packet lines we read about is the following on the eleventh of january seventeen ninety four a line of two keel-boats with bullet-proof covers and portholes and provided with cannon and small arms was established between cincinnati and pittsburgh each making a trip once in four weeks the defensive equipment of these keel-boats is very suggestive nothing enables one better to contrast now and then it is interesting to read how our fathers occasionally compared the comforts of their days with the discomforts of our grandfathers how proudly they spoke of improvements and how delighted and content they were with accommodations which seemed to us comfortless and mean here is a characteristic sample 
written about 1845, when steamboats, uncomfortable and slow, were everywhere replacing lines of stages or horse packets. In leaving Bangor, Maine, in a steamboat, though only for a short trip, I am thereby reminded of the difference which has taken place in our city and throughout the country in the mode of traveling between the present time and only twenty years since i say twenty years because it is about twenty years since i left the paternal home and in the good sloop betsy took passage for bangor where we arrived in safety after eight days toil the usual mode of travelling then from bangor was by the lumber coasters in which passengers male and female were stowed away in the few berths in the cabin or sprawled around upon the uncarpeted floor there was indeed a semi-packet with a few extra berths hung round with a narrow and rather scanty red bombazette frill but mean as these accommodations may now eighteen forty five be considered they afforded the best means of conveyance between bangor and massachusetts and during the rainy seasons in the spring and fall the only conveyance for instead of three daily stages west as now the mail was carried once a week only and then on horseback between bangor and augusta during the winter to be sure moses burley conveyed the mail and occasionally a passenger or two in a sleigh with a tandem team and during the summer in a rickety covered wagon then there was no small mail route to any of the towns above bangor and the old register in the monthly advertisement of the postmaster of two fingers long enumerated letters for the whole region round about these reminiscences have brought vividly to mind the appearance of the village as it was then there were but five brick buildings erected including the old distill house that has since been removed to give place to the city point block there were but eighteen stores a few mechanics shops one bridge and that the kandusky where toll was required the courthouse now city hall a wooden jail three taverns and a few dwellings how delightfully confidential this old writer is he has long since been gathered to his father's and even his name is forgotten but he must have been a good man who took an intelligent interest in what he saw though steamboats offered greater facilities and comfort to travellers than sloops or stages yet they were miserably conducted and often dangerous indeed the frequency of collision and explosions was appalling it became common to have safety barges towed by the steamboat and an illustration of a boat of this character appended to an advertisement in the commercial advertiser for june sixteenth eighteen thirty shows that the engine and boiler and apparently the paddle-wheel were placed right at the bow as far away as possible from the passengers on the safety barge in eighteen thirty four five miss martineau found steamboat travelling in the west proverbially dangerous she says i was rather surprised at the cautions i received throughout the south about choosing wisely among the mississippi steamboats and at the question gravely asked as i was going on board whether i had a life preserver with me i found that all my acquaintances on board 
had furnished themselves with life-preservers and my surprise ceased when we passed boat after boat on the river delayed or deserted on account of some accident since that day the stringent regulations which provide for governmental inspection of all boats have made steamboat travels upon the rivers as safe as it is delightful an excursion from st louis or cincinnati to new orleans upon one of the floating palaces which now traverse the lower ohio and mississippi ranks as one of the most enjoyable modes in which a holiday can be spent the traffic floated upon these western rivers will surprise many take the ohio for instance a competent authority has stated that the total of its trade from its head at pittsburgh to its mouth at new cairo about a thousand miles exceeded in eighteen seventy four eight hundred million dollars or a hundred and sixty million pounds a sum greater than the total exports of the nation about which we hear so much it is upon the ohio that the cheapest transportation in the world exists coal coke and other bulky articles are transported at the rate of one twentieth of a cent one fortieth of a penny per ton per mile this is made possible by means of barges many of which are now lashed together and pushed ahead by a steam tug the current of course carries along the floating mass the steamer has little to do but to guide while descending and to tow the empty barges back the records of eighteen eighty four show that there were owned in the one city of pittsburgh for use on the river four thousand three hundred and twenty-three vessels including barges with a tonnage of one million seven hundred thousand tons one hundred and sixty-three of these were steamboats twenty thousand miles of navigable waterways lie before these pittsburgh craft and many thousand miles more are ready to be opened by easily constructed improvements in the lesser streams this work the general government is steadily performing year after year as well as improving the existing navigation even today a boat can start from pittsburgh for a port four thousand three hundred miles distant as far as from new york to queenstown and halfway back or as far away as the baltic ports are from new york said i not truly that nature made britain only as a small model and the republic full working size from what a small acorn has the mighty oak of river navigation grown here is the very first prophecy of the coming events connected with the use of these great streams and from whom of all men should such a prophecy more fittingly come than from a minister here are the words of the reverend manasseh cutter d d l l d of ipswich massachusetts who was at once minister scientist statesman and the agent of the new england and ohio company which started at marietta ohio blessed man he it was who succeeded in getting past the famous ordinance of seventeen eighty seven which prohibited slavery in the old northwest territory and secured that fair domain forever to freedom here is the prediction he made in a pamphlet published in seventeen eighty seven the current down the mississippi and ohio for heavy articles that suit the florida mississippi and west indian markets such as indian corn flour beef timber etc 
will be more loaded than any stream on earth. It was found by late experiments that sails are used to great advantage against the current of the Ohio, and it is worthy of observation that, in all probability, steamboats will be found to be of infinite service in all our river navigation. That was written twenty years before Fulton's practically successful application of steam to navigation, and a quarter of a century before the first steamboat which ever ploughed the western rivers was built at Pittsburgh. Six years after the prediction about steamboats, the country hailed as a wonderful evidence of progress the inauguration of a regular line of sail and oar boats between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. Two boats were built for the line. They made the round journey every four weeks, so that every two weeks a traveler had a chance to start and take a two-weeks journey on the beautiful river. I wish, as I write, that we could do so now. This was our Nile in Adahabia right here at home. Why do we not try it now? What could be more delightful than the Ohio in a small boat moved by oar and sail? We have not the time, we say. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, we have not the sense. But just listen to the precautions deemed essential as late as the beginning of the century, which the advertisement sets forth. No danger need be apprehended from the enemy, as every person on board will be under cover made proof against rifle or musket balls, with convenient portholes for firing out. Each of the boats is armed with six pieces carrying a pound ball, also a number of good muskets amply supplied with ammunition. So the tedium of the journey, you see, was likely to be relieved by a skirmish now and then with the noble savage, and our travelers were not expected not to shoot back from under their iron-clad cover. The first steamboat troubled the waters in 1811. In 1810, we find Kramer's Magazine Almanac making the startling announcement. A company has been formed for the purpose of navigating the River Ohio in large boats to be propelled by the power of steam engines. The boat now on the stocks is 138 feet keel and calculated for a freight as well as a passenger boat between Pittsburgh and the Falls of the Ohio. It is gratifying to learn that in one year the New Orleans, for such was the name, actually cleared $20,000, £4,000. No wonder the building of steamboats rapidly increased. There is nothing so creative as a good dividend. The steamboats plying between New York and Boston, and also upon the Hudson between New York and Albany, have always impressed the foreign traveler as unequaled. The dimensions of some of the floating palaces are noteworthy. The tonnage of the pilgrim, for instance, is 3,500 registered ton, making her the largest inland steamboat in the world. Speed, 20 knots per hour. She carries 1,400 passengers and is lighted by 912 electric lamps. Miss Martineau has left a description of boat traveling on the Erie Canal in New York State. Compare the following with our floating palaces and Pullman cars. On fine days, she writes, it is pleasant enough sitting outside, except for having to duck under the bridges every quarter of an hour 
under penalty of having one's head crushed to atoms and in dark evenings the approach of the boat lights on the water is a pretty sight but the horrors of night and wet days more than compensate for all the advantages these vehicles can boast the heat and noise the known vicinity of a compressed crowd laying packed like herrings in a barrel the bumping against the sides of the locks and the hissing of water therein like an inundation startling one from sleep these things are very disagreeable the appearance of the berths in the ladies cabin were so repulsive that we were seriously contemplating sitting out all night when it began to rain so as to leave us no choice this journey from utica to schenectady a distance of eighty miles took twenty-two hours while the packet to rochester one hundred and sixty miles took forty-six hours much longer than is now required to go from new york to st paul minnesota one thousand three hundred and twenty-two miles in the short fifty years under review we have displaced the stuffy slow canal boat as a mode of travel for the limited express the small steamer with its safety barge for the floating palaces if there is anything calculated to make man thankful for the blessings which he enjoys in this last quarter of the nineteenth century it is the study of the conditions of life under which our ancestors lived not that we can form even an estimate of them discomforts which would make life unendurable to us were unnoticed by them and probably they suffered in many ways at which we cannot even guess if the record of their miserable mode of life were complete the picture would without doubt be even more repulsive than it is auguste comte has gravely propounded a religion of humanity which he says is worshipful because of its victories over nature and over the discomforts by which the life of primitive man was surrounded there have been religions founded on less worthy grounds than these man has indeed played a wonderful part in the world and nothing can be more marvellous than the way in which he has subjugated the forces of nature and yoked them to his chariot and his boat but let us be modest or as sure as fate those of the next generation looking back upon this our present life are to contrast their happier condition with, with ours and pity us as we have ventured to pity our forefathers the march of humanity is upward and onward for all the countless ages to come improved physical conditions react upon mental conditions and some day man is to read with surprise that once there were upon the earth a state of warfare between divisions called nations that europe once continually taught nine millions of men how best to butcher their fellows and called this vile work a profession the coming man will marvel that intemperance prevailed in these barbaric days that there were paupers and criminals without number and that even in britain the many were kept down by the few that the soil there was held in use by a class and that a million sterling was taken from the public revenues every year by one family and spent in vulgar ostentation or riotous dissipation a family which was an insult to every other family in the land since it involved the born inferiority of all others 
he is to read of all this as we now read of the armored keelboat and the horse locomotive and thank his stars he was not born as we have been before the dawn of civilization as one man's meat is another man's poison so one age's civilization is the next age's barbarism we shall all be barbarians to our great-great-grandchildren we have not traveled far yet with all our progress upon the upward path but we still go marching on that which is is better than that which has been it is the mission of democracy to lead in this triumphant march and improve step by step the conditions under which the masses live to wring out the old and to wring in the new and in this great work the republic rightly leads the van End of chapter thirteen railways and waterways